It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. And guess what? I hope you had a great weekend. It has now officially come to a close, but you're going to be informed and entertained, and I appreciate you tuning in. The number to call to be a part of the show, one 866 We saw the dramatic events that took place in Sudan. We also know the, the revelation of a story that it looks like the Taliban is, combined, uh, is combining with us to fight ISIS-K. Do you believe it? Jennifer Griffin will unwind all this. And Ronna McDaniel standing by, uh, chairman of the RNC. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Because of our actions in Afghanistan, the global war on terror is rearing back. Sudan, all of these countries, you've mentioned the Wagner Group, they are just breeding grounds for terrorist activity. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is uh, Kieran S- Skinner. He used to be the deputy to Mike Pompeo. Americans deal with the devil. In an effort to curb the rise of ISIS-K, uh, they are actually teaming. The U.S. is teaming with the Taliban while watching the Wagner Group assert itself all over Africa, and we're leaving Sudan, and there's pressure from Republicans to leave Somalia. Foreign policy lows for any administration, especially this one. Number two. Well, right now we have nine, but I believe in the end that number will be at least 12. I mean, this was the Biden family uh, influence peddling scheme. Yeah, that is James Comer, the Biden investigations. More from Hunter, now record show. The business involves many, many more Biden family members. As Hunter's lawyers head to the DOJ to work out, I don't know, some type of deal perhaps. You will find out soon. And an out-of-wedlock kid with a stripper uh, sues him, meaning Hunter, because he's not paying child support. What an embarrassment to the country. Number one. My own sense is that most Americans don't want to vote for an 81-year-old man for president. Neither do they really want to vote for a 77-year-old man for president. They'd like, a, they'd, they'd like to go to the next generation. ABC's Terry Moran, pretty significant, 5%. That's how many Americans would like a sequel to the Biden-Trump 2020 campaign. It looks more likely than not. Regardless, Biden's announcement officially will come down tomorrow, and Trump's nomination contenders, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, and Chris Sununu, should be in within weeks. What does that mean for Ronna McDaniel and her quest uh, to fill up that debate stage come August? And another one's been announced, too, right afterwards. Uh, Ronna, welcome back. Great to be with you. And, of course, that first debate's with Fox, so we're really excited for that debate uh, in Milwaukee in August. I'm stunned by that poll, the NBC poll, that's only 5% of Americans want to see a sequel. What do you hear when you're out, when you're out and about? You know, it's all across the board. I think people are excited uh, about taking on Biden more than anything. I hear people really concerned about this administration, uh, what's happening with fentanyl, what's happening with our border, what's happening with crime. And so they're nervous. They want to see Republicans take back the White House. Um, I know you're not going to get involved in picking a candidate. That's not what you do. But uh, Governor Chris Nunu is making it clear that uh, Trump's a front runner and he can't win. Cut eight. 
Well, it's not just 2020, right? We, we got crushed in 2022. We should have 54 U.S. Senate seats. We don't because he is part of that message. We lost in 2018. And so it's not just about whether he won or lost in 20, which he did, of course, but it's really about uh, we, we can complain about things or we can make sure that, you know, you can't govern if you don't win. And, and again, so he drags that ticket down. I think that that reality is going to really come to bear uh, in through the primary process. So I, know, I understand folks are supporting him. They think mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of this stuff with the D.A. is political, which I believe it is, too, by the way. It's creating a lot of sympathy. He's playing the victim card. Right. That, believe it or not, former President Trump is now playing the victim card and he's, he's uh, making some headway with it. So he, he's been definitive in saying that. And he does. He labels uh, Trump a loser from 2018 on. Do you? No, I, I don't. I, but, you know, this is what's going to happen, right? We're going to have, and I just gave a speech on this at the Reagan Library. We're going to have a lot of shots fired across the, the aisle at the other Republicans. My focus is always going to be on Biden. My focus is going to be on the families that are hurting under Biden. So what I keep saying is, okay, we'll have a rough and tumble primary. Guys, girls, that's fine. But once we're done, we need to remember who we're against, and that's Joe Biden. And I think the voters very much want to win. They don't want to see Republicans get so nasty with each other that we can't come together at the end. And that's going to be my focus as RNC chair. Part of the reason why we want every candidate to commit that support the eventual nominee, because we have to remember who we're against, and that's Biden. Uh, with uh, Ron, DeSantis, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis is now going to Japan, South Korea, as well as Israel. So it looks like I'd be shocked if he goes in. I don't remember the governor of Florida needing to go to those places. We'll have to see. Ron, the other thing that people have asked me a lot is, you know, you always got to change. You know, you got to be up. Like when social media came up, if you're reluctant to get involved, you're going to lose that cycle. Uh, are you somewhat giving in to the early voting and just be embracing it? Does that include ballot harvesting, too, in states that allow it? Have you changed, and do you have a plan to implement the rules in states where you have no control? Uh, you know, Brian, I'm going to push back on this. The RNC was doing ballot harvesting in 2022. We won three state races, statewide races in Nevada using ballot harvesting. We won in Montana doing ballot harvesting. And we picked up the Duarte seat in California. Of course we were going to do ballot harvesting. And we do need to do mail-in voting and absentee voting. And if you look at every battleground state in 2022, a Republican won statewide except Pennsylvania. So it wasn't – I think this is a, a narrative that's not right. Where we really lost in 2022 is independence. Independence what, for one Republican candidate and not the other. But, of course, the process is critical. It's going to take money. So, you know, go to vote. Text vote to 80810. You can't do these things without investing in process. Republicans like to invest in candidates. We have to invest in process year-round like the Democrats do. But the RNC was there in 2022, and we're absolutely going to be ramping up for 2024. Um, I want you to hear – some people have uh, talked about the individual candidates, the assets that they have, uh, one of which is Ron DeSantis. The label on him, he's not connecting one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't want to do it. Listen to Rachel Bade on Meet the Press yesterday, Cut 15. But here's the problem, though. If you can't connect with your own delegation, I mean, Stubbe told me, Greg Stubbe told me that he had numerous times over the past five years in Congress reached out to DeSantis to try to get a meeting to talk policy, right. ignored every time, actually, you know, told to show up at campaign events or uh, and, and then told you can't take the stage with DeSantis. This is a problem for him. And if he's going to alienate yeah. lawmakers who understand the electability argument and that, why that is significant, how is he going to connect with, you know, GOP voters who well, sort of vote with their guts? So I'm, I'm sure you've heard that. You, you hear the analysis constantly. What are you, what's your reaction? Uh, because you also know Ron DeSantis. 
Yeah, I, I think it comes down to Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. And absolutely, whoever wins is going to have to do some retail politicking and connect with those voters. These are voters, especially in Iowa and New Hampshire and these early states that are used to being up close and personal with these candidates. We'll see who gets in. It's, I think it's too early to make any prognostications about what's going to happen. We already we all know that these calendars can get upended. Whatever we think is going to happen doesn't happen. I think the debate stage in August will be pivotal, and we've got a long way till next January where we have that first caucus. But retail politics is key in those first battleground states. Uh, Ronna McDaniel, our guest. So the other big story is abortion. We'll talk about the abortion pill, and there mm-hmm. was a, a pill, so now it's back in play to where it was. I don't know where how it works its way through the court system. Bottom line is it's still a very passionate issue, one that Democrats seem to grade higher on uh, than, than Republicans – I want you to hear what Nancy Mace said on this week with George Stephanopoulos, cut 25. Well, I want us to find some middle ground. As a Republican, a conservative, constitutional conservative who's pro-life, I saw what happened after Roe v. Wade because I represent a very purple district, as purple as this dress. And I saw the sentiment change dramatically. And as Republicans, we need to read the room on this issue because the vast majority of folks are not in the extremes. And we just saw... You know, a, a fetal heartbeat bill signed in the dead of night recently in Florida. Um, there, in my home state of South Carolina, there was a small, very small group of state legislators that filed a bill that would execute women who have abortions and gave right, more rights to rapists than women who've been raped. That is the wrong message heading into 24. We're going to, we're going to lose huge if we continue down this path of extremities. So what about her advice? Well, I certainly think we, we should be showing compassion, and we need to talk about not just the, the unborn baby, but the mother. And, and that, that's part of our platform as our party, and I don't think anyone disagrees with that. I think we need to be able to articulate why we're pro-life, but we also have to talk about the Democrats and how extreme they are with gender-selected abortions, with abortions not just on a baby's due date, but the eighth month and the seventh month. We know babies can live outside the womb. We know that tax fund, taxpayers shouldn't have to pay for abortions that are against their conscience. So I, I think the biggest issue, Brian, is they have to talk about it. Republicans can't just stick their head in the sand and think this issue is going to go away. This is all Democrats can run on because they can't run on crime or the economy or the border. So this is it. And so we have to come out fighting back and pushing back on their lies. And if you don't push back, the lies become the truth. Democrats spent $360 million on this issue in 2022, and most Republicans decided to put their head in the sand and ignore it. And that's not going to happen in 2024. We can't do that. Well, that's uh, that is true. I just saw this poll on NBC. They say 68 percent of the American public thinks that abortion should be legal. Uh, the should 68 uh, percent say abortion uh, should be illegal on the GOP side. But overall in the country, 58 percent want abortion legal. So 28 uh, percent want it uh, legal. Uh, you know, 28. So the, for the majority support, Republican support, having it illegal, but the majority of the country supports it legal. And then you have the Susan B. Anthony Society who come out and basically warned Donald Trump. This uh, kind of blasted him, says we will oppose any presidential candidate who refuses to embrace at a minimum 15 week national standard holding to the position that it's exclusively up to the states is an abdication of responsibility by anyone electing you to federal office. What's your response to that? 
Well, I, listen, Dobbs did not overturn Ro, or did not ban abortion, like Democrats are saying. There's not a single state where it's banned, okay? And what we know is it re- rightly returned it to the hands of elected officials who are elected by the people. Uh, we know through RNC polling that the vast majority of Americans, when they're faced against a Democrat with no limits, with no restrictions, and a Republican who supports uh, you know, protecting life after 15 weeks, Republicans win by 22 points. So we're going to have to make sure that we're finding consensus on this issue, but we can't ignore it and we mm-hmm. can't go forward without showing how extreme the Democrats are. Ask one Democrat, what is an abortion you're opposed to? What's an abortion you're opposed to? Democrats need to push, Republicans need to push back on them. Tell me one Democrat that's a, tell me one uh, abortion that's a bad idea. Ask a Democrat that. They can't answer. So stop getting ourselves painted in a box and push back on them. Because Democrats are so extreme on this issue. There was North Korea and China. And what Susan B. Anthony and other groups are saying is, we want to be where Europe is, where 47 out of 50 countries are, saying at least at 15 weeks, that should be a threshold that we should all agree on. So factcheckbiden.com is what? This is our pushback on the Biden administration. Factcheckbiden.com is a new uh, website the RNC is launching. We know Biden's going to announce tomorrow. And boy, Brian, it's going to be exciting to put up all his lies. There's no spin here. This is just up or down. Is he lying or is he telling the truth? And it's a great resource for state parties, county parties, but for voters who want to see how much this president is lying to them. I have news for you. Susan Rice is out at the White House. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, she's going to be leaving. I think the country's a better place, personally. Uh, but she's going uh, to the campaign. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, she's got three paragraphs of everything she accomplished working behind the scenes. There's no question she used the the advantage of the president being his advanced age and not into day to day, according to her reports, to to assert a lot of power. She never would have got confirmed if she put herself out there because of her terrible tracker with President Obama. But you have you have the former chief of staff, Ryan Klain, and now Susan Rice. Do you sense they're going campaigning? You know, I think there's a divide in the Democrat Party that we don't see. I think there is a group of people who don't want Biden to run again, and I think Biden wants is going to run. And so he's putting him his, around himself a team that's going to be all in for President Biden. But I do think there was a group of Obama holdovers who were hoping for a switch in the Democrat Party, and I don't think they think Biden's up for the task. They're not going to talk about it, but that's what I think. Well, Ronda McDaniel, thanks so much. Exciting time. And we have the one debate in August on Fox. What could you tell yes. us about the second debate? The second debate is going to be at the Reagan Library. I can't think of a better president to honor through our second debate. And uh, a pretty winning president, too, still holds the the record for most electoral votes. So we're going to set the stage there in, in California where we need to keep all those House seats. And we'll have more announcements to come. What kind of spacing are you looking for with the debates? What works for you in the perfect world? Well, I think uh, typically you do a debate a month until those first primary states start voting, which is January of 2024. Um, So we're not going to make any more announcements. We now have two out there, um, and we're going to see how the field develops, too. I mean, we've got to see who gets in, and there will be a threshold to make the debate stage. There will be parameters on polling and small-dollar fundraising um, to make sure those candidates are putting in the building blocks to success against the Democrat machine. I know you got your plate full, but have you heard if Jim Justice is officially going to put his hat in the ring to run against Joe Manchin? Uh, yeah, I have heard that. I think he's going to run. Uh, the governor, obviously, of West Virginia is incredibly popular. We have a great Senate map in 2024 with 
West Virginia. Trump won West Virginia by 40 points in 2020. So West Virginia, Montana, and Ohio, we only need to flip two to take back the Senate. But you have to invest now. This is my thing, Brian, and I, I can't say this enough. Democrats invest in process. Republicans wait till we have the candidates. We can't wait. You got to invest now if we're going to win, and that's why the RNC is so important. You can't say do ballot harvesting and do all these things if you're not investing for the mechanics and the infrastructure to get built before the election. I hear you. Uh, Ronna McDaniel, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. She runs the RNC. Glad to hear from her. one 408 I love the 2024 whole race, the whole strategy, the different candidates, what's going to emerge, what's going to be the message. What do the polls say? What are the results going to reveal? When we come back, I'll take your calls. You know the number. Or you can write me, briankillme.com. If you want to write this way, you can still stay at work and no one can know what you're actually listening to on your AirPods. It's not a podcast. Um, it, is not, um, it is not yoga. It is us. Brian Kilman Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's going to be a big week for Hunter Biden here. Weekend, a week for Hunter Biden because his lawyers are actually going to go visit the Department of Justice. They got legitimate bank records showing that this fund that he's been heading, this deals that he did in the Ukraine, Kazakhstan, uh, possibly Russia, certainly China, Mexico, not only is he involved and maybe his father, his father's involved and maybe father's brother's involved, but they say up to 12 different Bidens have benefited from these deals. And here's the question. If Eric Trump goes and buys a hotel or a golf course and they work there, or they share in the revenue. I see the golf course. I see the building. How you decide to divide it up and make such and such an officer. That's up to you in a business. But the question you keep coming back to is these were flag- these transactions were flagged by internet for, from our mechanisms for detecting suspicious banking activity. And now it's flagged. Other people are benefiting. And I keep going back to this. What are you selling? Hunter's not an egg. He's a law firm. If you want to say legal fees, really? China needs your legal help or influence, knowledge of a political system. But what job does he have? All about the father, the president. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show the immediate problem of course is evacuating americans there's now a humanitarian crisis of the first order with thousands of um sudanese um, going to eastern chad um, a refugee crisis that the united states and the world may become involved with and then there's right. the geopolitical crisis with China and Russia um, coveting access to the Red Sea through the port of Sudan. So lots going on here. Kira Skinner, former State Department senior policy advisor. While I'm extremely glad, and we all are, that all of our embassy folk got out, and because of the special forces, no one shot at them, but the operation was long, and it was uh, pulled off by all reports well. We have a lot of Americans still, thousands of Americans still behind. But I just worry about also the bigger picture, losing influence in another vital country. Joining us now is Jennifer Griffin, Fox News Channel's chief national security correspondent. Jennifer, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Jennifer, as far as you know, this operation went well. There was no, they weren't targeted. Uh, the, the choppers were not targeted by anyone, the planes or anything, right? They got in and out? Well- that's right. In fact, Brian, we knew this was this was a very dangerous operation that was planned here at the Pentagon at the Joint Staff. Chairman of the Joint Staff was was uh, Joint Chiefs was very heavily involved with the JSOC commanders down at Fort Bragg Joint Special Operations Command. It was led by SEAL Team Six, helped uh, by the Third uh, Special Forces, uh, the, the Green Berets. This was a very very dangerous way to go in to get the uh, about ninety. U.S. Embassy personnel and the ambassador. Uh, There were three uh, MH-47 Chinook helicopters. They flew in low. They landed at the embassy. They were on the ground less than an hour. They refueled in Ethiopia. But this was a risky mission. We watched all day Saturday knowing that uh, we we were given the all-clear at about 11 at night and then had a press briefing um, right. just before midnight. But but make no mistake, this was not – there was no easy way in or out. The U.S. military – from Djibouti has been coordinating and helping the other countries that carried out evacuations over the weekend, or um, helping with the the, the uh, landing of the planes, and they flew in some of the special forces from the Brits, who then helped get their British embassy personnel to that uh, that that landing pa- site where uh, planes landed. You know, in the last sort of 48 hours, there have been constant movements. Now, as we speak, uh, U.S. surveillance drones are flying over the convoy route being used by the U.N. to go to Port Sudan. They're setting up a naval task force that's being led by the U.S. with other international partners because they recognize this is a huge humanitarian crisis. And as you mentioned, it's so strategically important, and the Russians have been playing around there with the Wagner Group for some time, and they want to set up a a port. The Chinese obviously are eyeing it because of the natural resources, Uh, but the, the, the potential for humanitarian disaster right now, we're already seeing it unfold and it's very very serious yeah no doubt about it did the chinese evacuate did the russians evacuate 
Well, you know, that's a good question. I have to look at the um, the latest. Obviously, the U.S. was not coordinating any Russian or Chinese uh, evacuations, so those were not the, the countries that the U.S. Uh, was helping. They were helping the Italians, the French, the British, the Greeks, um, and and other allies. Uh, the Saudis evacuated. Um, the, you know, they've been heavily involved there, along with the UAE, and uh, the Saudis evacuated by road and then picked up um, off the off off the coast there with uh, naval vessels there, the Saudi embassy. So unfortunately, and seeing these these U.N. convoys, when the U.N. is leaving, you know it's a serious situation because the World Food Program, they're, um, they're out in the Darfur area. Their uh, food warehouses have been uh, burned down and attacked. Uh, their convoys were attacked. We heard that a French and a British, uh, in fact, one of the planes, that military planes that landed just north of Cartagena, Tomb. There were um, two, there was one injury. A French uh, uh, individual from the embassy, I believe, was uh, was shot during the convoy evacuation, and so had to be treated on the right. t- on the at the airfield. Very very dangerous. The U.S. embassy had a convoy that came under attack prior in the days prior to the evacuation. That's why they started to realize that they were go- they really needed to get in quickly and and get them out. We need a comprehensive strategy on Africa. We need a comprehensive strategy on Latin America. It can't just be spending. It, it's got to be like there's, there's so many strategists in the State Department, I imagine, in, in the Pentagon. We need we just can't keep on trying to do this as where we see a Russian threat. We see the Wagner group move in. We need a strategy. Why don't we get a strategy together? We have relationships with a lot of these governments. Kieran Skinner was on with me this morning and said this about what she's seen so far. Cut 33. It's a bipartisan problem. We don't seem to know what our interests are in any sustained way on the African continent. It's got the biggest delegation at the General Assembly in the United Nations in New York, the African leaders. Huge continent. Sudan, one of the largest nations on that continent. It has seven neighbors, some of them who've been in conflict with each other, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Chad, Egypt, Libya. Do we have we thought through the importance no. of this region? And that, I think, is what's at stake here. It's the fact that China is the leading trading partner for Sudan. Russia's not far behind. Where is the United States yeah. beyond its aid programs that have ties to social engineering gotcha. around trans policies right. and so on? Right. This and is not it's a, a it's good a joke. moment. So, I mean, to me, uh, I just think it, we definitely need a strategy there. It's not necessarily something to run, uh, run for a, a president on. But if you're president, you need this. Brian, I mean, let's let's look back at multiple administrations that have failed in terms of coming up with a comprehensive strategy. The last time I saw a comprehensive strategy uh, for the African nations was under the PEPFAR program that George W. Bush put into place at the State Department. I remember, Bono uh, had had lobbied the president because he was concerned about the HIV rates. President Bush was worried because if you have failed states, you have the potential for for terrorism 
regimes uh, or, or spaces where terrorists can take advantage and set up bases. So it was this combination of a health program uh, combating HIV and malaria through PEPFAR. Uh, that was the last time we saw a comprehensive strategy. Uh, if, you, if you remember, uh, under President Trump, they wanted to pull out uh, most of the basing. They pulled out U.S. troops from Somalia. AFRICOM got pulled back. Uh, there's a lot happening in the north of Africa in terms of, of terrorism and operations that the U.S. military is doing on a daily basis. Uh, but again, and we saw recently that, that the vice president, Harris, was traveling through Africa. The first lady took a trip through Africa. Melania Trump took a trip through Africa to try and do uh, soft diplomacy. But, but again, a lot of these countries have so many resources that are going to be needed in the next phase of these great power competition. That's why China is using their Belt and Road Initiative to try and make all of these African countries dependent on them. They gave them huge loans, and now those, uh, those, the interest on those loans are coming due. And in exchange, when the African country can't pay back the loans, they then say, okay, we'll take over your, uh, your, you know, your mining system. We'll take over your electricity grid. We'll take over uh, resources that we need for our uh, militaries and for, in order to, and for our economies. So this other story, front page of the New York Post today, Deal with the Devil, it talks about how the U.S. is dealing with the Taliban to combine against ISIS-K. What could you tell us about that, Jennifer? Well, as we've been reporting, Brian, everyone knew that once the U.S. pulled out completely from Afghanistan, it was going to be very hard to keep eyes on, despite their talking about, you know, over-the-horizon capabilities. Those over-horizon capabilities are, you know, 14 hours away, drone flight uh, to, to fly round trip to uh, the Middle East in order to come back to Afghanistan and watch, you know, an ISIS cell or, or an al-Qaeda training camp. So, I think what we can say right now is that there's very little understanding of what's really happening on the ground in Afghanistan. The U.S. does not have a solid intelligence network there anymore because of the roll-up of, of uh, CIA bases, because there were no longer military bases there to protect uh, those agents. And and so now uh, you have a situation where you, as we have seen in, in many parts of this world, sometimes you have to deal with the devil in terms of uh, – you know, keeping other terrorist threats at bay, but a very complicated situation in terms of the relationship between the Taliban, uh, ISIS-K, al-Qaeda. And if you were uh, having to figure out what was going on there, it would be very difficult without uh, eyes on the ground. It's amazing. It's so, so predictable. Uh, Ukraine, it looks like the offensive is getting into motion uh, to move forward, it looks like tanks have arrived, some Bradley vehicles arrived. How, sh- how short are we to what Zelensky wanted, and how prepared is Ukraine to make a difference? So much pressure on them to show some progress and take some of their territory back. Well, I think mo- one of the more significant weapon systems that have arrived recently were the, the – um, uh, the Patriot missile batteries that the Ukrainians were training on here in the United States. Those were expedited, and in some ways, uh, you know, the movement of that has been expedited. The, certainly the revelations that came out in the leaks, the intelligence leaks because of that young airman at Otis Air Force Base, uh, that, the, that the air defense was going to be a weakness for the Ukrainians. That has pushed, uh, pushed nations to, to push in their, their air defense capabilities. 
capabilities to help the Ukrainians. But right now, you know, I would say we're in a, a watch-and-see moment. There's some talk that the Russians are pulling back from Kherson. Um, they're gearing up, and we've been reporting that the Ukrainians are gearing up for a spring offensive, and that offensive um, I would expect to begin uh, any time. And the Ukrainians have been underestimated in the past, so if you look on paper, the Russian military uh, is is stronger in some ways, but they don't have the will to fight, and they don't have the ingenuity that the Ukrainians have proven. Um, and so, you know, the Ukrainians would still like to have F-16s from the United States. They would still like, you know, they want more, more, more. Uh, a lot of weapons have flowed in there, and they have a lot of capabilities. And I think, you know, at this point, um, the Ukrainians need to be backed because the Russians are, are you know, they, they they definitely don't have the will to fight. They have a lot of uh, they have a lot of um, uh, bullets and ammunition, et cetera, But they don't they don't have coordinated movements. They mm -hmm. don't have generals who know how to coordinate uh, attacks. And so the Ukrainians need to take advantage of this moment in time because these next few months are going to be absolutely crucial. Last question: Do you think we're beginning to solve the slow pace in which we're able to manufacture and sell and use weapons from the ones that I, Taiwan is waiting for to the ones yeah. Ukraine are waiting for to the ones we need? I would say, Brian, that from what I'm seeing, the industrial base is still very slow. Very, the supply chains are slow. The the ability to ramp up production of weapons uh, in the event of a crisis or war uh, still very flat-footed. And that is a combination. There is a long history of a combination of reasons between, and it certainly doesn't help what's happening on the Hill in terms of the discussion of of, of stalling um, the you know freezing the the budgets and the debt ce ceiling of, you know, brinksmanship that is going on right now, because remember, you need to pass budgets in order for contractors and defense contractors to know what they should plan for and what they should build. And when that gets slowed down, we saw this during sequestration, when that gets slowed down, the industrial base slows down for years to come, and then the readiness falls in terms of the military and the ability to provide these weapons. So, so it's a very complicated uh, uh, situation that has been years in the making. But no, I'm not seeing the uh, the ability to ramp up production of the kind of weapons that either Ukraine needs or the U.S. will need in the future in uh, in in Asia. Wow, uh, General, a lot going on uh, the Sudan evacuation work, but we still need to somehow get everybody, uh, other people out that need to get out and still have influence in the area. Not easy, General Griffin. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Well, one 408 7669 Got a few minutes on the other end. I want to hear what you have to say. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think if we have an announcement to make, uh, whether it'll be well before late June. But are you leaning in or are you leaning away from running? Well, I'm here in Iowa, Robert. He's going to run, uh, no doubt about it. He said he's got to get in before June if you're going to be serious about running. Chris Nunes said something very similar. But here's the stunning news. I watched 
uh, the Sunday shows, and it's pretty, the theme is pretty overwhelming. Nobody wants to see uh, Trump and Biden again. They don't want to see a rematch. Only 26% of all voters said they, that Joe Biden should run again. 70% said he should not. Is that incredible to me? It is to me anyway. Between 18 to 34-year-olds, 76% said, Joe, don't run. From 2020 Biden voters, 53%, after what they've seen for the last two and a half years, said he should not run. Why? I could give you a bunch of reasons, but you know what they're saying? Age. He's just too old. Now, for Trump, the numbers aren't great right now, but they're better than Joe's. 34% overall voters have a positive feeling about a 50%, 57% negative. Now, about the charges in New York. This is stunning to me. Maybe I'm a little bit too much of a bubble. 52% said anyone would have been charged like that, though the, the, the whole thing was Stormy Daniels. 52% said, no, no, then he should be charged. Now, 68% say, uh, of, of GOP voters, say, no, it's politically motivated. To me, it's so obviously politically motivated. It's really propelled Trump. But after being down to 51% to about 29%, it looks like Trump has now had his lead cut again by Ron DeSantis. Now it's 46-31. Pence got six. Haley's got three, along with Scott Hutchinson and Vivek Ramaswamy has got 2%. Now, one-on-one, Ron against Trump. The NBC survey found that 46% of GOP voters favor Trump as their first choice. 31% favor DeSantis. Now, Trump leads DeSantis 57-31. Uh, That's where it was at. Now, when it comes to your first and second choice, put your first and second choice together. Trump by one. Who wins against Biden head-to-head? Trump loses. DeSantis wins. Now, it's just a snapshot. He's a samples. They're not gospel but it's important. Get this. Only 5% of Americans actually want to see them run against each other. Now, for those people, uh, 5%, that's stunning to me. Now, if you want context of the race on the Republican side, because there's so many quality candidates, 2006, December of 2006, Hillary led Obama 37 to 18 so DeSantis is closer than Obama was to Hillary Clinton. Pretty cool uh, to understand how exciting this is going to be. The New York Times let Biden have it. Quote, the only thing I say is the only thing he says is watch me about his ability to be president of the United States. But Mr. Biden, the time writes, has given voters very few chances to do just that, to watch him. His refusal to engage with the public regularly raises questions about his age and his health. The Wall Street Journal, the public understands that Mr. Biden apparently won't admit that electing an octogenarian is obviously who's obviously in decline. Another four years would be a historic mistake. It's impossible to know Mr. Biden's real physical and mental health because the White House goes to great lengths to hide it. Totally true. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot to go over. So glad you're here. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Hope you had a fantastic vacation, excuse me, weekend. And maybe you're looking at a vacation staring you straight ahead, getting ready for the graduations in May, high school graduations in June, perhaps traditionally, and then get to set to uh, 
Uh, I don't know. Get set for a normal summer. I don't can't take anything for granted. You never know what's going to be happening. Michael Goodwin is standing by with the New York Post. And Congressman Mike Johnson is going to be with us, too. Vice chair of the House Republican Conference, member of the House Judiciary Committee, Armed Services Committee. we got to find out if they're going to get a deal on the debt ceiling. I can't believe I'm saying this, but pressure from the Democrats on Joe Biden to deal with Kevin McCarthy. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Because of our actions in Afghanistan, the global war on terror is rearing back. Sudan, all of these countries, you've mentioned the Wagner Group, they are just breeding grounds for terrorist activity. Yeah, that is uh, Kieran Skinner. She used to work with, uh, with the State Department under Mike Pompeo. America's deal with the devil in an effort to curb the rise of ISIS-K, we team with the Taliban while watching the Wagner Group assert itself all over Africa and Latin America. Foreign policy lows for any administration, especially this one. Number two. Well, right now we have nine, but I believe in the end that number will be at least 12. I mean, this was the Biden family uh, influence peddling scheme. Uh, That, of course, is James Comer. We're getting very used to his voice. And he's talking about the Biden investigations more than Hunter. Now records show his whole family up to 12 are uh, dealing with his schemes and benefiting from them as Hunter's lawyers head to the DOJ. Uh, And this other story about his out of wedlock stripper baby mama suing him for child support. Evidently, Hunter Biden's a deadbeat dad. Number one. My own sense is that most Americans don't want to vote for an 81-year-old man for president. Neither do they really want to vote for a 77-year-old man for president. They'd like, a, they'd, they'd like to go to the next generation. Terry Moran of ABC, hardly a conservative reporter, 5%. That's how many Americans would like a sequel of the Biden-Trump 2020. It looks more than likely, regardless, Biden's announcement officially uh, official is likely Tuesday. And Trump nomination contenders Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Chris Sununu should be in within weeks. And that's where we'll stand. Uh, Michael Goodwin joins us now with the New York Post. Uh, and he's a standing columnist there. Michael, welcome back. So they're start- things are starting to heat up with Hunter Biden, even without knowing what this whistleblower has to say. Where do you think it is heading? Well, good morning, Brian. Look, I I think that uh, what we're seeing is the impact of the Republicans winning the House. Uh, There's a very small margin, but they are using the subpoena power to great effect. And I I have to say that the number of these things that have come out so far – uh, I, I think the one that really jumps out at me, I mean, the, the whistleblower, the claims of uh, preferred treatment for Hunter Biden, that things are not being done in the proper way with, uh, with the IRS, uh, and this is an IRS agent, a supervisor in the case directly. So this is somebody who knows what he's talking about. Right. But I, and, of course, you mentioned Comer with uh, the bank records and the number of Biden family members getting um, some share of these uh, money from China. And this, don't forget, this is just one part of the China money. Uh, Tony Bobolinsky has said it might be as much as $11 million that came from China. Plus, there was the diamond. There was a million-dollar retainer. I mean, there was all kinds of money. And it all flowed through these Hunter Biden accounts, which is why the banks were flagging all of this stuff. But, Brian, having said all of that, 
the more I think about it, the, I think perhaps the most significant thing so far uh, is, this, is this Mike Morrell testimony that Tony Blinken was involved in the crafting of the letter signed by the 51 uh, former uh, intelligence officials uh, saying that uh, this was this looked like Russian disinformation, the laptop stories of the Post in 2020. And then we have that it was then the Biden. So Tony Blinken, then an advisor to Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign, of course, becomes secretary of state. We also find out from this testimony that the campaign was involved in disseminating the letter, that it, it told the signers who to send it to at the Washington Post. So here you have, Brian, in my opinion, a backdoor proof that there is a corrupt deep state, that these 51 security officials, former intel officials, using the credibility that they supposedly have by virtue of their past positions and the fact that, that they would retain their security clearances, gives the impression that they know something nobody else knows. And then they use the media. I don't know the name of the Washington Post reporter yet who got the first leak of this, but I think we will find out. So they, they, they use their favored lapdog to put out this sinister letter, which is false, which they have reason to know it's false. And they did it because, as Morell said, I wanted Joe Biden to win. This is not about national security. It's not about anything other than raw politics. So here you have the really, to me, the absolute proof of deep state meddling in an election. And that letter had the desired effect. It allowed Joe Biden to lie at the debate uh, and say this is all just uh, Russian dis disinformation, and he cites the signers of that letter, and the subject dies. But we know now the letter was, was what, it, what it was, a partisan effort, and that the laptop was true. And we know that the FBI had the laptop already, why didn't it come out and say that this is this is not Russian disinformation? And on the other hand, the the FBI was working with Twitter and and Facebook and the other tech giants to say, watch out for Russian disinformation involving Hunter Biden. Right. I Even want you to hear. as they had the laptop themselves. Yeah, I know that the, the really 51 is big. They did push back over the weekend and they're waiting for Jordan to answer him again. They said they took Mike Morell out of context. It doesn't sound like it, but and he's not complaining, but other people are. Here's just formally what James Comer said on Maria yesterday. Cut to. Well, we went into Treasury after a long battle to have access to those Treasury reports, uh, thinking that uh, there was a certain number of suspicious activity reports, the number that had been previously reported. And we thought that there were two or three Biden family members that would be implicated in these bank violations. Uh, nearly three weeks later, we walk out of Treasury, uh, having read, poured over thousands of pages of documents. And I can tell you that uh, there were more suspicious activity reports than had been previously reported and many more Biden family members that were involved in the influence peddling scheme. We now have nine and counting 
Biden family members who are zinged by at least one bank for receiving suspicious wires from our adversaries around the world. So as you listen to this, people see on Democratic side will say, well, what's the illegality? What are you selling? You know, if uh, Eric Trump is buying a golf course, you'd say, well, now he's tra- trading off the father's name. Well, what are you talking about? At least I could point to the golf course that he bought. Right. What exactly is was Joe Biden selling? So, the, right. and then when, who else? Why would everybody benefit from it? What do they want in return? Well, look, Brian. I to me, um, where this is going is that Joe Biden was very involved in this. He didn't just profit from it. He was involved in it. And I think that's where, the, where they're going to end up here. Look, it, it, it beggars belief to think that Hunter Biden dreamed up the names of all of these people who would buy his influence, who would buy the family right. name. Joe Biden, in, again, in my opinion, had to be directing this. Uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat ironic to call him a mastermind, but somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody has to be picking the targets. Somebody has to say, <clears throat> here's somebody who must you have been modeling this for him. Here, here's who you talk to. Here's who will give you money because of me. Right. Somebody and how about this, Michael? That's true. That. And how about this side note? To have this stripper that he got pregnant, have a two and a half year old girl and him not pay child support. And they evidently he's hiding out in the White House to not get served. I mean, think about how scummy that is. You got to be kidding me. And no one's saying a word about this. I mean, they wouldn't be running commercials on CNN if this was Trump's family. But just so you know, the Democrats are not running to his side. For example, look at the guy who replaced him in Delaware. Chris Coons cut one. CBS reported back in October that the FBI had gathered evidence sufficient enough to charge Hunter Biden with tax and gun-related crimes and sent it to the U.S. attorney in Delaware. And we know that in the coming days, Mr. Biden's attorneys are set to meet with the U.S. attorney in Delaware. Do you have any sense if this is going to conclude soon? It's been ongoing since 2018. Uh, No, I don't, Margaret, nor should I. Um, It is an ongoing investigation that, as you say, has been... Uh, conducted for years. Um, The U.S. attorney here in Delaware is the U.S. attorney who was appointed by the previous administration. Right. Uh, And uh, look, if there are any charges ever brought, uh, we'll discuss them at that time. Yeah, you got senators. No one's rushing to say that didn't happen. There's no witch hunt or anything like that. I, I was struck by that in two or three opportunities. And CBS is pursuing this story, Michael. Um just a final thought, and I want to get one more thing in with you. Go ahead. Sure. Well, uh, Brian, as we say in the media, I, I think you buried the lead there. The, 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 the lead is that CBS is pursuing this. And this is a big turning point, I think. Uh, as I write in my column, you have CBS, ABC, NBC, uh, The Washington Post, New York Times, all of them writing about the whistleblower. Uh, that is a big Big issue, big deal. And, of course, it's not what it was with Trump when a whistleblower uh, over Ukraine led to an impeachment. But I think that, that the 
allegations from the whistleblower from within the IRS that there's preferential treatment, that there's politics being played with this case is a very big deal. And I think Democrats are going to be hard pressed, just as the just as the media is now right. forced to cover it. I think Democrats are going to be hard pressed to defend uh, the, tr- the the way this case has been handled. So it I want is you a scandal how uh, it's been NBC handled. NBC does this uh, poll: forty-one percent approval rating for Joe Biden. It's pretty terrible. Is as low as thirty-eight with Reuters. The only twenty-six percent uh, of, of of voters want him to run again. Thirty-five percent want Trump to run again. Now Trump is leading on the polls against DeSantis and is relentless attacking DeSantis, but he's going about it all wrong. They, I think he's misreading his own base because they like DeSantis too, and if he's vulnerable, it's not going to be this way. Listen to this remark and the lack of response. And again, except you don't see that tabulation, we did much better in 2020. In Florida, I got 1.2 million more votes than your successful governor's campaign. You know that. We got 1.2 million. Sir, I'd love to have your support, sir. I'd love to have your support. I'm down at about three. I'd love to have your support. All right, let's think about it. Then it was like a rocket ship after I gave it. Otherwise, right now, you'd have a lawyer someplace looking for business. If that. It's just not working. I mean, that was a packed house. I mean, going after Florida... You saying that Florida isn't successful? They've added 700,000 people in 18 months. And Governor DeSantis is successful. That's not where he's vulnerable. Clearly it is. I've done this job. I know this job. We can't afford to have someone learn on the job. That type of thing. But to go after him as a governor, to me, is if you're not, unless you're a Democrat and Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden, it makes no sense, Michael. Well, look, it it makes no sense if you want to win the presidency, if if you want to build a team to govern with. Uh, But that's not how Donald Trump plays. Uh, He plays uh, one gear, smash mouth, uh, crush everything, crush everybody. it, it look it doesn't work as a governing principle, and I think he he's apparently learned nothing about that from from the way his presidency was roiled by constant turnover <clears throat> by the media attacks of course I mean he just could not govern and I agree with you brian he is he has not learned from that past and he's repeating it. And I think that is is going to hurt him at some point in this campaign. It may not be in the primary, but I think at least in the general election, there will be, oh, no, not again. We're not going to go through that again. And I'll defend Trump this way. I'll defend Trump this way. To go after Trump and say he didn't finish the wall and didn't clean up the swamp is ridiculous, too, that Chris Christie and Sununu were doing. you got to be kidding me. He did a big dent in the swamp, and he did everything possible to build a wall, 450 miles, and repurposed defense. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is going on here? Do you guys not understand what you're saying? No one worked harder and took more heat for that wall. And if you want to criticize anyone, it's Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell for not delivering from Congress. We don't live in a dictatorship. Final thought? Yeah, look, I, I think that uh, Trump is getting, unfortunately, what 
what he dishes out. He's getting it back. He's getting these unfair attacks from other Republicans. Uh, this is, you know, sort of the, the the shine is off him in the sense that he's no longer untouchable. You're seeing these other Republicans now go at him very hard. DeSantis hasn't, but the others are doing it. So uh, we're we're entering a new phase, yeah. I think, Brian, of, of the Republican fight. I just thought the Republican would be a fair fight against each other that wouldn't make things up. Uh, and I'm just, you know, Trump's not the only one who's who's always going over the line. Well, it's, I, I can't wait. I, I love this stuff. So let's keep <laughs> analyzing it, Michael. It's fun. Uh, I'll, I'll, st- I'll stay with you the whole way, Brian. I appreciate that. Michael Goodwin. <laughs> Check him out in the New York Post. one 408 7669 Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why isn't anyone ever talking to, the, like, Chicago? Like, most of the, the shootings are young black men killing other young black men. Is that not correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Much more than, than what the cops do. Why doesn't anybody talk about that? Well, I mean... Uh, why aren't there, uh, you know, a uh, hundred giant black celebrities who would have the respect of those people saying, what are you doing to yourselves? Why are you killing each other? This I mean, is I no just... way to live. This dishonors our community. Come on. Uh, we're better than this. Right. I feel like it's never addressed. That is uh, Bill Maher uh, right on the money again. I mean, the numbers are overwhelming. Over 70 percent of, uh, of, of those shot in New York, in cities, are of people of color. And these numbers are overwhelming, but everyone says the cops are the problem. And, and the numbers just don't add up to that. You want, the, you want the cops to play the perfect game. I get it. Uh, you, every time something happens, people want to see race. For example, the best example is uh, there was two tragedies. There was a group of girls that pulled into the wrong driveway, and as they backed out, they got shot. One got killed in the passenger section. They just made an innocent mistake. Another was a 15-year-old black kid was shot by somebody else who was standing in the driveway. Total tragedy. Never should have been shot. But they're both tragedies of the same magnitude. Who does the president call? The family of the black kid. Why not call both? Please. I mean, does the president even try to... Simmer things down ever? show like no other it's brian kilmeade well right now we have nine but i believe in the end that number will be at least 12 i mean this was the biden family uh influence peddling scheme and and you know when people say well they were involved in ventures around the world i haven't found a legitimate business on the biden end maria i found legitimate businesses that uh, that were paying the llc's that were then turning around and laundering the money back to the biden's so James Comer is getting the bank records and things are really picking up the pace to the point where there's not many people defending Joe Biden and going off or even showing emotion, you know, Carville like emotion to say, you know, why are, why are you so obsessed with Hunter Biden or trying to deflect? I was just struck by that. 
especially when these polls say so few people, Americans, want Joe Biden even run again. With me right now is Congressman Mike Johnson. Um, he is vice chairman of the House Republican Conference, member of the Judiciary and Armed Services Committee. Congressman, this is getting interesting. Now we hear the DOJ is going to be welcoming in the Hunter Biden lawyers. Yes, they are, and they have a lot to um, to sort out. No one is defending this, Brian, because it's indefensible. I mean, the evidence is clear. Jamie Comer and, and the team on oversight and, and our committee on the we're, we're doing the weaponization committee, of course. The more we uncover, the more scandalous it appears. The corruption's deeper than than even we imagined, and uh, they've got a lot to answer for. Uh, where do you th- what is uh, what can we expect this week? For example, the banks are now being cooperative, correct? Uh, they are. They they they're required to, of course, uh, congressional subpoenas and the like. Um, and they they're not going to get wound up in this thing. Um, there were a lot of transactions that have raised lots of questions, and now we know what it's all about. It, it you know, in in my district in Louisiana, I was around this weekend, and they're calling it the Biden Crime Syndicate. You know, the family is all involved, and uh, it it would be comical if it were not so dangerous for the country because the implications here are huge. You know, we're talking about China. It's our number one adversary, and they they have no fear of U.S. retaliation right now because the the Biden family ties to the CCP and the Chinese Communist Party, its affiliates and its business entities. And, you know, they Biden is somebody they can take advantage of because obviously they've got goods on him. Well, I'll tell you what. Serious stuff. I mean, let's just think about electric cars. We know that 70 percent of the electric car market, the cobalt, the lithium, uh, the iron, it's all in all locked up by China. They control the battery industry. And who's to try to destroy the fossil fuel industry in this country and around the world? Joe Biden. And guess what, exactly guess what right. it's going to mean? Uh, electric cars. And guess what we're going to have to go for that? China. And China rolled out their electric cars over the weekend. They're as good, if not better, than anything that we have. So they're ready to lead there. And we're trying to play second fiddle. We're trying to be customers. Yeah, exactly. It defies logic, and, and people have been scratching their heads for the last two years trying to figure out what in the world would motivate the president to declare war on the fossil fuel industry. I mean, I'm in an energy state in Louisiana. It's decimated our state's economy, and, and all of us around the, the country and around the globe, for that matter, energy prices are sky high because we shut off our production. Why in the world would we do that? It looks like national suicide. Well, now now we have some answers, I, I think. China is orchestrating some of this. And it sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory, but that's where the facts are leading us. And we're following those facts as far as they go. I mean, do you talk to people that have the big picture in mind? Do they understand how China's taking over Latin America, what they're doing in Africa, how they're trying to court our allies in Europe, and now making comments as if to say, I wonder about the legitimacy of those Soviet countries spinning out onto their own. I'm not too sure that was legitimate at the end of the Cold War. I mean, do, do they up for this challenge? Uh, well, we're we're going to find out. I mean, look, I, I think the American people are onto this. I think they're deeply concerned about what they're seeing. Um, you know, the the, the the Chinese spy balloon floating around the country doing circulates over our military installations again. People scratching their heads. Why in the world do we allow this? Well, Biden couldn't wasn't allowed to shoot it down. Perhaps you know didn't want to provoke his the people that have got his number over there. Um, it's a serious threat. You know, we're we're in in Congress. We're we're doing uh, you know war war day, war game scenarios. You you saw some of this uh, at the end of last week with the China Select Committee and our other committees. I'm on Armed Services. We talk about this every day, all the time. We are concerned. You know, since World War II, we have always had the the wherewithal and the plan to 
to be able to wage two wars at, at once. And right now, to be very frank, we're not sure how we would match up one-to-one against China. If they invade Taiwan, if they start some other ruckus somewhere, are we going to be able to match them fire for fire? And I you know, there's a question about that. And that's scary stuff. Well, before we move on, I just want to talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's the president of the United States is going to make it official. He's going to run for another four years. He'll be 86 at the end. We see how that trip to Ireland was the biggest embarrassment, not only wrong country, wrong place, wrong time. He stayed way too long. It was a personal vacation and he kept on screwing up. He does not look comfortable. I I am always uncomfortable watching him. Here is Terry Moran of ABC Cut 16. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to, to our, our Democratic uh, form official here. My own sense is that most Americans don't want to vote for an 81-year-old man for president. And neither do they really want to vote for a 77-year-old man for president. They'd like, a, they'd, they'd like to go to the next generation. And I think part of the modesty is the, is the Biden White House and operation aware that people are uneasy with his age. And- yeah, to say it, but I thought it was, it was significant that ABC saying it, and that's their reporter who just spent all his time attacking Trump. Is that pretty much understood? I think so. That was a rare moment of candor by Terry Moran. Um, it shows you how desperate they are. Uh, you know, the problem the Democrats have, of course, is that they have such a, a weak bench. They've got nobody they can put up. Who are they going to run? You know, Kamala or Pete Buttigieg or Gavin Newsom? Bring it, you know? So, I mean, they're in a real bind, and, and they do uh, have a lot of trepidation about it. You, they've seen the polls, as we all have. The American people, what is it, 70 percent, one of the polls today says 70 percent don't want Biden to run for re-election. But what are they going to do? They have no alternative. So I think he is going to go for it, and I think he's going to lose. I think we, we've got to get our act together on the other side, because if we can't win this one, uh, I'm not sure we can save the republic. I mean, the stakes couldn't be any higher. They couldn't be. Now you have a debt ceiling where the president of the United States is getting great joy saying, I'm not going to deal in the debt ceiling. We're not going to default on our debt. And it looks like Kevin McCarthy's in the process. He's trying to sell his Republican caucus on his 340-page proposal on how to reduce uh, the deficit enough to raise the deficit to the uh, spending enough to raise the deficit. He only has a four-vote margin. From what you've seen in McCarthy's proposal, do you think Republicans are ready to get on board? Well, we're all working on this. I mean, I'm vice chairman of the House Republicans, so I'm on the leadership team. We've spent uh, countless hours working across the conference. I'm a fiscal conservative, and I'm you know, talking with Freedom Caucus guys and Republican Study Committee guys, all my, my team, um, about our concern. Look, our, our number one driving uh, you know, motivator here is the national debt. It's the greatest threat to our national security. We talk about China. But the Pentagon, Joint Chiefs of Staff, everybody for years has reminded us that the debt is the first and greatest threat because if you can't fund your military, you can't defend your nation. And so we've got to change the spending trajectory. So what we have in the Save, Limit, Grow Act, which is what we rolled out, is uh, very reasonable demands. They're sensible. They're, they're responsible. It's, it's about the trajectory going forward because if we don't bend that, that trajectory line. We are literally going to bankrupt the country. $31.5 trillion in debt is nothing to sneeze at, and it, and it is, is a, a threat to everything about our way of life and our security. So but we are, have but to are the Matt it. Gates of the world and the Scott Perrys of the world going to buy into it? Uh, Matt and Scott, both, I spent a lot of time with uh, Thursday, Friday of last week. And, uh, we're, you know, Matt's hang up right now, just to, be, <laughs> to get down in the weeds, is 
he wants to uh, really us to press on the 30 hour uh, uh, per week um, work requirement instead of 20 hours per week. And it sounds like a little nuance, but symbolically and, and otherwise, that's an important thing. So there, there's some little tweaks in it that we're working through to get everybody on board. And I'm, I'm helping with that. And I'm optimistic. I think we can because we have no margin for areas. You know? I'm talking to Congressman Mike Johnson, Louisiana. Congressman, you know what I get the sense, and you could dis- dissuade me of this. I will not hurt my feelings. I get the sense that Democrats are enjoying regular order. I, I think that they're, they're you, I mean, I'm watching them, what you guys are doing on the on the China Select Committee on China. I'm seeing some of them comment. Are you getting that sense? I, I don't know. They're hard to read, to be honest. And, and um, you know, this, this is a, an interesting time in Washington. Uh, we're in unprecedented uh days and uncharted waters, so to speak, choose your metaphor. Um, but there's not a lot of bipartisanship, right? I mean, the two sides have gone to their respective corners, and there's a wide chasm between them. And it's it's unlike in any previous generation, maybe since the Civil War. So, um, you know, it's it's a shirts and skins situation, right? Um, the, only, the only thing that there's bipartisan consensus on right now is the threat of China, and that's why you see that select committee working together. I wish we could forge that kind of consensus in all of our committees, House Judiciary, Armed Services, um, but um, we, we've got a lot of distinction and difference between us. Uh, you know, are they enjoying regular order? Well, it slowed the process down, but, you know, that does serve the American people overall. Mm. And um, because, you know, single subject bills and, and all the rest, no, no more of these omnibus bills, um, that that helps the people because we know what we're voting on. There's not 4,000 page pieces of legislation filed with before anybody reads it, and it serves the American people. So they may be delighted that we're not pushing our agenda fast enough, um, but at the end of the day, I think this is the right thing. Uh, was Congressman, I want to bring you to something else. I love that you guys came to New York and just highlighted these uh, victims because I read about it every day. I live it, worked in the city through the pandemic. We never stopped, and we saw the fact that this used to be safe, and there's a sense of uh, disorder and uh, cops feeling powerless, and you highlighted that. I thought it was great. Here's what Bill Maher pointed out, that no Democrat can do. Everybody knows how liberal he is. But when it comes to crime, who the victims actually are, you saw that in your committee. But maybe that that doesn't get across to the average American. Cut 29. Why isn't anyone ever talking to, like, Chicago? Like, most of the, the shootings are young black men killing other young black men. Is that not correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Much more than than what the cops do. Why doesn't anybody talk about that? Well, I mean, uh, why aren't there, uh, you know, a uh, hundred giant black celebrities who would have the respect of those people saying, what are you doing to yourselves? Why are you killing each other? This I mean, is I no just... way to live. This dishonors our community. Come on. Uh, we're better than this. Right. I feel like it's never addressed. Uh, how important is that statement coming from a guy firmly in the left? Well, it is is important because, you know, people are are realizing how this is truly destroying our cities. And, you know, we went to New York, Brian, because we wanted to sound the alarms. We wanted to draw the attention to the witnesses of the victims of these crimes and their families. If if a few radical politicians can destroy a once great American city like New York – and they can destroy every hometown around the country. And that's what's happening. These Soros-funded DAs are perpetuating these systems. They are, uh, you know, they're, they're more favorable to the, to the criminals than they are the victims. And this is what's happened. All this is the logical result of prosecutors letting criminals roam free. They're literally doing that. And they, they often do it in the name of 
restorative justice or equity, which is the great tragedy here. It, it hurts and harms the most the very communities that they're purporting to serve. And, and it's just um, it's just madness. Covering the New York Post today, deal with the devil. Are you comfortable making working with the Taliban to, to ice out ISIS-K? Gosh, it's, it's surreal, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. Our foreign policy is in complete shambles. The idea that we would team up with the bad guys to fight other bad guys just it, it defies logic. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty frightening. We heard about that, by the way, when, when everyone did. I learned about it on Fox News this morning, on Fox and Friends, Okay, and I'm on the House Armed Services Committee. So um, they're not exactly communicating and coordinating with us. And uh, we're going to have a lot to say about that in the days ahead. I hope so. Uh, Thanks so much, Congressman. We covered a lot of ground. I appreciate it. Congressman Mike Johnson, thank you. You got it, my friend. Good talk to you. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. It's your turn. Uh, Weigh in. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. we got to close out this hour with one of my favorite segments of the week. It's More to Know. More to Know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, he was a bit of a flower child, average players in New York, Nick, but definitely played a big role in having them win two championships. And then he went out, become one of the best coaches in the history of the NBA, and was a terrible general manager for the Knicks, leading to, who am I discussing? Phil Jackson. He weighed in on the state of the league that he used to dominate with the Bulls and the Lakers. Listen. Do you still watch a lot of basketball? No, I don't. And they had things on their back like, you know, justice. And uh, they even had slogans on the floor. It was catering. It was trying to cater to an audience or trying to bring a certain audience into play. And it, they didn't know it was turning other people off. People want to see sports as non-political. We've had a lot of different type of uh, players that have gone on to be like, you know, Bill Bradley was a senator, number of baseball players have been representatives and senators and political, but their politics stay out of the game. They doesn't separate. need to be there. Wow. And that, that really turned off a lot of people. I 100% agree with Phil Jackson. The league just kowtowed to the players after we saw what happened with uh, the George Floyd riots. Jalen Rose of ESPN. Listen. You can't make this up. Hall of Fame coach and 11-time champion Phil Jackson claims to have stopped supporting the NBA because it became too political when it went into the bubble and was catering to certain audiences by putting slogans on the back of jerseys and Black Lives Matter on the floor. The same Phil Jackson that won championships with some of the greatest black athletes in the history of the game. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant made millions on their backs and off their sweat equity. You're sitting up watching a game with your grandkids, and y'all think it's funny when justice passes the ball to equal opportunity? When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. So stop watching forever. Well, I mean, I can understand why Jalen Rose would be unhappy, but Jackson did not just benefit from them. He led them. If you talk to any of those players, almost all of those players, those players that just feel you're overrated or underrated, 
uh, but the, he played a, a vital role and had the respect of all races. That's his point. He's got the credibility, Jalen. He's allowed to say it. Next, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McClenney. McClaney, uh, Rob McClaney shared an emotional celebration after Wrexham, which is a reality show, but is really a team, a football club in the uh, in professional soccer in London, won their final game in order to ascend to a higher division. Uh, Reynolds spent about two point five million dollars to get it with Paul Rudd on hand. They went on to win it. Uh, he said, quote, uh, did one of the owners. I don't remember this moment, but you can see something leave both of our bodies at the same time. And then we'll fill back up with indescribable joy. Uh, Wrexham secured the promotion back to the English Football League after a 15-year absence. Uh, he took control of the Welsh team in two, 2021, and they just filmed the whole thing. I think it's uh, they did it. Uh, they posted everything on Instagram, but the reality show has been on and available. And I've been uh, thinking about watching it now. I'll definitely watch it now. There seems to be a, ra- a rage of celebrities buying soccer teams, including USL teams here in the United States. It's another reason to thank Brian Brian Reynolds. Right. You think? I think no. uh, I think we should try to get him on. That would be a great get. Right, and as you say, he is endlessly sexy. That, that's a fact. <laughs> Back in a moment. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action now. And if you're like most of us, you don't really take off from what's going on in the world. It's so intense, and you're probably into it, especially with 2024 heating up. And these polls coming out, and they mean more and more. We're finding out more and more candidates and what they're doing. Look for Ron DeSantis. Check Japan. I'm looking for Tim Scott. Wait for an announcement sometime, I think, this week. And then who knows? Mike Pence, I think it's just a formality at this point. Jason Chavitz, according to the rundown, is going to be on the show. I look forward to seeing him. Uh, Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour will not be in studio, but he'll be uh, contributing and bring us the inside story about what's going on with these investigations, the whistleblower, as well as 2024, which makes me think we should get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Because of our actions in Afghanistan, the global war on terror is rearing back. Sudan, all of these countries, you've mentioned the Wagner Group, they are just breeding grounds for terrorist activity. And basically taking over Africa, America's deal with the devil, is an effort to curb the rise of ISIS-K. We team up with the Taliban. Is that worth it? While watching the Wagner Group assert itself over Africa, Latin America, and Ukraine, foreign policy lows for any administration, especially this one. Number two. Well, right now we have nine, but I believe in the end that number will be at least 12. I mean, this was the Biden family uh, influence peddling scheme. James Comer, Biden investigations, more than Hunter, now record show, business involved in, in businesses involved in many as nine to 12 Bidens as Hunter's lawyer heads to the DOJ and out of wedlock stripper, uh, stripper mom is suing Hunter Biden, wants child support. He is hiding in the White House. You ever hear anything like this? Number one. My own sense is that most Americans don't want to vote for an 81-year-old man for president. Neither do they really want to vote for a 77-year-old man for president. They'd like it. They'd, they'd like to go to the next generation. That's ABC's Terry Moran. 
5%. That's how many Americans would like to see a sequel between Biden and Trump in 20, of 2020. And it looks more than, than likely that it will indeed happen. Biden's announcement officially uh, tomorrow and Trump's nomination contenders include Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, and Chris Sununu. They will know their verdict and their decisions within weeks and maybe be done with this. I, I think we're going to be done right after that. Uh, Jason Chaffetz right in studio. Uh, Congressman, uh, first off, great to see you. Yeah, always good to be here. All right. uh, I want to get to Utah and what Spencer Cox is doing with transgender sports. But first things first, Comer's investigation. Slow start. Do you like where they are right now? Do you like the way he's approaching this? Uh, I don't think he's off to a slow start. I think he came running out of the gates. But what you don't do is. Well, we had the delay of 14 rounds to pick a speaker where we might have had a few weeks Okay, yes. I do think, yeah, because you can't get staffed up. You can't do some other things. But by the time they actually finally got to to, do. to uh, to announcing who the speaker is, then they could populate the right. committees. Then they could hire the staff. But you got to understand all the all the groundwork that needs to be laid before an investigation. You don't just call Hunter Biden and say, "Hey, come down here and start testifying." You know, going to get all the bank records, I think, was a huge win for because it's really not about Hunter. It's, it's a, about Hunter breaking the law, absolutely. But what what did he what was he doing it for? Well, and and you got to follow the money, and and that's what he, Comer's done. When you have a hundred and seventy-five or so suspicious activity reports, you and I normally n- nobody normally gets these. This is by law what banks are supposed to do, financial institutions have to do in reporting abnormal abnormalities in financial transactions, and these people have north of a hundred and fifty of them. I mean, uh-huh. that is crazy. And I thought it was very interesting what Comer said. He said the most legitimate country of all was China. So I think what you're going to ultimately see is a lot of funny money coming out of very... Kazakhstan. Dagestan. I mean, you name it. They're going to start seeing a lot of flow. Some of it was coming out of Romania. I mean, there was $100,000 that went into Joe Biden's grandkids' accounts. Explain that one to I mean, me. What they, could they have possibly been doing? Can't they, can't they work in a restaurant, earn their own money? Uh, cut to. Well, we went into Treasury after a long battle to have access to those Treasury reports, uh, thinking that uh, there was a certain number of suspicious activity reports, the number that had been previously reported. And we thought that there were two or three Biden family members that would be implicated in these bank violations. Uh, nearly three weeks later, we walk out of Treasury uh, having read, poured over thousands of pages of documents. And I can tell you that uh, there were more suspicious activity reports than had been previously reported and many more Biden family members that were involved in the influence peddling scheme. We now have nine and counting Biden family members who are zinged by at least one bank for receiving suspicious wires from our adversaries around the world. So he's discovering things through the bank records, which makes it hard to push back on. It's easy to say, well, you sh- why were you here? Why right. were you traveling? But the bank records are the bank records. Right. And if you can compile those with the telephone records, I still think they need to go through that process of subpoenaing the telephone records. Because we do know that uh, Biden, specifically Hunter Biden, had acquired phones that Joe Biden, as vice president, was using surreptitiously to communicate around the world. Oh, I did not know that. burner phones. Yes. But can you follow a burner phone? By definition, it's impossible, isn't it? This is the type of sleuthing that you have to do in tracking those actual telephone numbers. Because somebody had a credit card on it, and they weren't that smart, and they actually have the uh, ability to trace those. 
You know, I thought it was interesting. Dick Durbin and Debbie Dingell both had a chance to say, well, those Republicans are crazy and there's no problem here. And they didn't do that because the whistleblower came forward. Yeah. And the whistleblower is asking for a bipartisan hearing. He has no interest in just being on one side or the other. We don't know the difference, but now we know the lawyer says involved is the AG. And the hunter is the subject. So if you are a lawmaker, and you might have been on the other side of this, you might know that a Republican is in trouble, and they ask you about it. You can't just act emotionally because that tape is going to be on file if something could make you look bad, right? I think this is going to be a game changer because when you have a government employee, somebody with a 10-plus year record at the IRS, non-political stepping forward as a whistleblower – it adds a degree of credibility that they cannot simply What kind dismiss. of path are they on? We hear about it. The lawyer's out doing interviews, and I understand they have to get bipartisan permission to go forward as a whistleblower. No, no, they don't need bipartisan no? support. Uh, the House can call this person before them. There are whistleblower laws. This whistleblower did it the right way. Because your IRS, don't you have certain limitations because your you IRS? You do. You do. Just like you handle classified information, the IRS also has limitations. But if you come in and claim a whistleblower status and are able to share information, testimony, go through a transcribed interview, um, then you have clearance and there can be no repercussions. We went through that when I was chairman. We had a lot of TSA employees that were stepping forward, a Secret Service agents that were stepping forward and basically gave them immunity and protection so they couldn't just be summarily fired um, or moved. And, and we had to go back and fight for them. But this is this is they're doing it exactly the right way. His lawyer has been through this game before. He's not some, you know, lawyer out in the hinterlands. This guy's actually been through it. It shows how serious it is. All right. So let's talk about the, what's going to be happening now. It looks like and odds are if you're a betting person, I'm sure people are betting on this, that it's going to be uh, it's going to be a rematch. It's going to be Trump Biden rematch. I'm not saying that it's not going to be very tough for Trump because Biden's going to have doesn't seem like much of an opponent right now. RFK. But look at these numbers. Is it stunning? You want to diminish polls? I'm with you. But this substantial, it is eyebrow raising because the NBC poll says 26 percent of all voters think he should run again. Seventy percent said he should not. Thirty five percent say Trump should run again. Sixty percent say he should not. Uh, Biden should not run. What's the main reason? Age. And who are the what's the one group that's most offended that he's going to run again? 18 to 34s. That's 76%. He owned them last election. Yeah, I, I think uh, Biden is in, in real trouble here. I, I, this Do you think they care about this? Yeah, of course they care by about the way, it. By the way, Susan Rice has resigned, by the way. Yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence either. I, I think Susan Rice, with her domestic uh, portfolio now, the international portfolio as national security advisor, I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't put herself in as a candidate as well. Um, or certainly try to position herself as vice president. We thought that she was a candidate for vice president, but Biden didn't pick her. Probably, you know why? Because she was such a horrendous advisor to Obama. She was. She couldn't have got confirmed. That's the reason she went into that slot. No doubt about it. I'm not saying she's qualified. I'm just saying she has tens of millions of dollars in the bank. Doesn't need the job, but does perceive herself as somebody uh, of that caliber. And and I. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. 24 hours before this announcement. By the way, what's up with them taping it? Like, 
you know that Biden can't just extemporaneously go out and give a speech and be rousing to the crowd. But the reports we're hearing is that they have already taped it. They're now yeah. they're just editing it. You know, if they're going to make an NFL films, uh, John Facenda, like a 30, <laughs> you know, two minute piece, what he's <laughs> done, done. reimagined done. America, done. put a windmill in every home, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 take gas sto- stoves out of every kitchen. Change every That's light bulb. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, among the people who were honest, Terry Moran of ABC. Now, by, by the way, in the past, has he been very conservative? Um, not, I don't recall ever. Ever? Okay, fine. <laughs> Cut 16. Well, I'll, I'll leave that to, to our, our Democratic uh, form official here. My own sense is that most Americans don't want to vote for an 81-year-old man for president. And neither do they really want to vote for a 77-year-old man for president. They'd like, a, they'd, they'd like to go to the next generation. And I think part of the modesty is the, is the Biden White House and operation aware that people are uneasy with his age. So Wall Street Journal writes this in the editorial. The public understands that Mr. Biden apparently won't admit that electing in, uh, an 80-year-old in obvious decline for another four years would be a historic mistake. It's impossible to know Mr. Biden's real physical and mental health because the White House goes to great lengths to hide it. But the decline is real. New York Times, the only thing I could say is watch me is what Biden always says. But Mr. Bre- Mr. President, the Times writes, he ha- has given voters very few chances to go do that. Quote, watch him. And he refuses to engage with the public regularly, raises questions about his age and his health. What's going on? NBC, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. What are they trying to say? I, I don't think by the end of the year, the calendar year, I don't think he will actually be the nominee. I think he has to. It's getting so that'll awkward. be a disaster for Democrats. But it's it's going to be it's so awkward right now that he hasn't announced re reelection. I mean, we got debates on the Republican side coming up in August, and Democrats are going to have to start scheduling some of those as well. Um, but I don't think he wants to become. Do you think he'll dunk. debate RFK and no. Marion Williamson? No, like he got there so by being in the, bank, yeah. in the in the basement. But I think there will be more people. I think those candidates getting in the race almost give an excuse and an opportunity for somebody like Gavin Newsom and potentially a Susan Rice to also get into the mix. I, I, that's not the end of Jeez, the deal. You'll never an advisor can't come out against a, a president, can he? Uh, yeah, Angie? yeah, that that'll. That that's happened in the past. I'm just saying I don't advocate for it. I'm not the campaign manager for them. I'm just saying I think this is how they think. And I don't think that 24 hours before the announcement of the reelection is a coincidence. All right. When we come back, Ron DeSantis in Japan, South Korea, Israel. And I think there's one other stop. I'm, I'm forgetting it. But going over there, it looks like he's going to come back and announce. I would imagine no one's doing what he's doing and doesn't. Not announce. until the state legislature passes law and changes the law so that a sitting governor announcing for president can continue to be the governor. Right now it's against the law. Right now we would do, I think that's May 20th is the last day to do that. So it'll be a couple of weeks in. Yep. But I want to see what you think about the attack plan that Donald Trump has on Ron DeSantis. I'm not comfortable with it, but I'm also not comfortable with what some Republicans are saying about Trump. It's just totally inaccurate and not a vulnerability, but you're the pro Jason Chaffetz back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, we're back. Um, let's go back to what I was saying before we won. Jason Chaffetz stayed here. I tried to get him to go do something else, but he would not go anywhere. I'm only kidding. I beg you to stay. The food here can, is so good. It is fantastic. You always feed me so well. You brought well. your own Gatorade. Uh, so <laughs> I have. Uh, I want you to hear, uh, if Josh, what you just pulled down. I want you to hear a little bit of President Trump's attack on Ron DeSantis. And I, I don't get it. You guys are the pros, but I don't get it. Listen. And again, except you don't see that tabulation, we did much better in 2020 in Florida. I got 1.2 million more votes than your successful governor's campaign. You know that. We got 1.2 million. (laughs) Sir, I'd love to have your support, sir. I'd love to have your support. I'm down at about three. I'd love to have your support. All right, let's think about it. And there was like a rocket ship after I gave it. Otherwise, right now, you'd have a lawyer someplace looking for business. If that. He says that uh, the place is a mess. The state's a mess. Um, He got more votes than that. He's the reason why it's no longer a purple state. That's just not the case. He won by one. After Ron DeSantis showed up, then they see he wins by 19 out of pure performance, stood up and worked together with Jared and everybody else during the pandemic. I think that's a non-starter. I, I think f- attacking Ron DeSantis as a governor of Florida is a non-starter, Jason. I think in general, if Republicans are going to succeed, they better take on the mantra of Ronald Reagan. I don't think it's playing well to go out and attack each other personally. Yeah, but you know when the primary, Reagan even attacked. Yeah, but you can attack on policy. Absolutely. That's a, that's a totally different, fair, and legitimate, that's what voters want to hear. But to try to disparage somebody's personal character, uh, that that isn't going to play well. I'm not saying that about any one candidate. I'm just saying that as a sweeping generality, that is that just doesn't play well. So I, another thing I would say for Ron DeSantis, he attacked without using his name. He said, uh, "If you're president of the United States, you got to be a leader, and you should never out you know you should never outsource pandemic to Anthony Fauci." <laughs> you know that when this first happened, we didn't know what hit us. And then after a while, he told Fauci to take a walk, and he took heat for that. Yeah, Ron DeSantis was brilliant during the pandemic. I, I'll give him credit for it. But I don't think President Trump is vulnerable in that respect. People were mad at him for sidelining this at that point, the man that solved AIDS. How do you feel about that? No, I, again, I, I think these will be shallow, soft, quick hits. They won't necessarily land the blow. Debates are going to be fascinating. You know, starting in August, they're going to start to have debates. Um you know, De- DeSantis has to actually declare. But boy, if you watch the ad wars that are already going on between these super PACs, I- again, go after the Democrats, show leadership. I think there are a couple people, if they play their A game, they can become the nominee. And and showing how you're going to take on Joe Biden and the woke left is, is the number one issue. I want you to hear what Rachel Bade said of Politico real quick. Cut 15. But here's the problem, though. If you can't connect with your own delegation, I mean, Stubbe told me, Greg Stubbe told me that he had numerous times over the past five years in Congress reached out to DeSantis to try to get a meeting to talk policy, right. ignored every time, actually, you know, told to show up at campaign events or uh, and, and then told you can't take the stage with DeSantis. This is a problem for him. And if he's going to alienate. So that's what they're saying is that he doesn't connect. He's not friends with Rick Scott. He, uh, Ruby hasn't talked to him in months. Greg Stubbe can't get him on the phone. Reality. Uh, for those individuals, yes. But I tell you, for the six years that Ron was in Congress, I was with him on judiciary and on judiciary. 
I find the guy to be accessible, fun, knowledgeable, and stood shoulder to shoulder with me in fighting right. against John Koskinen at the he IRF. He likes to work. He's not like a hangout drinking buddy. Yeah, like and neither am I. Uh, I am. <laughs> I have no friends, though. you think this is the brian kilmeade show we gave up all of our bases we don't have bases in any neighboring country our allies what few are left are literally being hunted down as we speak billions of equipment left behind our drones spend about 80 percent of their fuel just to get from the middle east to afghanistan and they're dependent on the taliban's buddies in Pakistan. So it is uh, it is a very difficult situation. The thing that's the thing that's worse is they've made a deal with the devil with the Taliban and want us to believe that we can depend on the not so bad terrorists to help us go after ISIS. That didn't work at Abbey Gate. It's not going to work now. And Mike Waltz making a lot of sense as usual. I just, he's a go to guy and all this stuff. But you see the cover of the New York Post today deal with the devil. And it looks like uh the Taliban is aiding us and taking out ISIS-K. But we were doing that to a degree even when we were at the airport because ISIS-K is an enemy of theirs. But the Taliban couldn't be more evil and uh, untrustworthy from what they've done over the last year. I don't have to tell Brett Baer that, host of Special Report. Brett, great to hear from you. Uh, your reaction to this this news? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's a mess. Uh, and it is something that um, a lot of people foresaw. Uh, when when the withdrawal happened, and um, it kind of emboldened uh, different elements that we're facing, and and it's just uh, it makes it tough. Um, I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, if if the terror, if you look at some of the leaks, terror is manifesting itself back in Afghanistan. It's guys like you know uh, who actually stood, stared and studied the war on terror, just didn't ride the news. That's where it's going to go. It's going to go to the weakest point and where they can operate freely and that's where they can operate freely again but i don't know who's thinking this through brad it just everybody has to know what you're dealing with the other story was we see the inspector general who's doing the report saying i cannot tell you for sure that the aid we are sending to afghanistan is not going right to the taliban yeah i i think that they have made so much of uh, the relationship they had with the Taliban, and then the withdrawal happens. Then it is super messy. Now they're trying to do some diplomatic dance, and the aid is still going to the Taliban. And you have um, essentially a setup that is a lot like it was before 9-11, where it is uh, setting the table for terrorist groups to have a lily pad launch pad from Afghanistan. And we are unable in the long distance, you know, over the horizon uh, to take those out effectively. I mean, we do in ones and twos, but uh, they're able to set up a lot better than um, than we ever thought they would. And I, I wanted to bring you to this. I thought when I saw this interview, I wanted to bring this back for you, especially today. Benjamin Netanyahu was on Face the Nation, 
And he was asked about a poll that showed more Democrats sympathized with the Palestinians over Israelis in the United States. And he was asked to comment on that. Cut 19. Yeah, I do think it matters. And I think we have to work harder to persuade uh, our Democratic colleagues or those of those de- uh, our Democratic colleagues who uh, uh, who forget, perhaps, that Israel is the, the solitary democracy in the Middle East, that America has no better friend and no better ally than Israel. But I'll tell you why I think this happens. First of all, it's happening over time. It happened over time. It's not related to this or that administration in Israel because it happened. It continued under the previous government as well. I think there is a demonization of Israel uh, in uh, some of the reports, many of the reports that come out of here. And I think there is a portion of the American public that finds it hard to understand that once you you enter the the realm of nations, you have to act to defend yourself. So there's been a lot of anti-Israeli thing, uh, action on campus. And I think the people are getting older, and many of them uh, are Democrats. Uh, I think that's that's pretty telling. And he understands this country. He went to college here. He knows America very well. He does. And, uh, you know, he has a good sense of where America is. And I think that um, it's interesting to hear him talk. Obviously, Israel has its own issues internally. um, But, you know, he's right in a lot of aspects. um, And... You know, this is going to be a big issue for a while. So a couple of things. I, you know, I love the 2024 race. I think you love the horse race, too. In fact, you actually gamble on it. I never understood exactly <laughs> how to do it. And when I, I screwed up, I think the last time I was on the panel, I, I, I messed up the rules so bad. You haven't had me back. Allison, could you look that up? We have official bread. <laughs> we have Canada bear. Kill me. <laughs> I mean, you, you totally, you know, you said like $100 or I gave you $100 in chips yes. and you put 50-50. That's not like uh, making a bet. Right. I'm not, I'm not a good gambler. So, <laughs> right, I'm just not. But I didn't know really what, what you meant by that. I guess other panelists are more astute. <laughs> I should have paid attention in college. So, um, or at least had a, some, type of, uh, some type of recreational activity that helped me out in the long run. So <laughs> let, let's, let's talk about the, this race in particular. And some of the attacks between DeSantis, Trump, and others. I was shocked to see that Chris Sununu um, went at Trump this way. Cut nine. At the end of the day, it has to turn into votes. Uh, look, I talk all the time about, you know, he, we want a fighter, right? Republicans want someone that's going to fight for them. But we also want a fighter that can win. He, he said he was going to go to Washington and drain the swamp. He didn't do it. He said he was going to build a wall and secure things. He didn't do it. He said he was going to give us health care reform and be fiscally disciplined, not add $8 trillion. So to the debt, he didn't do any of those yeah. things. And, and we, so we want fighters that can actually win and take accountability. And if you hear the scribbling in the background, it is uh, Joe Biden jotting down because he's going to say the same exact thing. But I was surprised about those, that style of attack. Were you? Yeah, I, I I think that, you know, listen, they're going to have to carve their own lanes. Uh, and that style of attack is is interesting to watch. But it's going to be, you know, otherwise you're going to have the same race that we had, um, you know, in 2020. And it's shaping up to be that right now. Um, so each one of these opposing candidates is going to have to have uh, something that, that has traction. And maybe that's what they think it is. But the thing is, Brett, we all know this is not an absolute monarch situation that, you know, you build a wall. And if you only get one point four billion from Paul Ryan for two years and Mitch McConnell, you could 
suck it up, and then you do repurpose defense funds, and then you build 450 miles of wall. I thought that there might be oversweeping statements like that from the left. I was surprised where Chris Christie, and and I'm you know I'm a fan of both these guys. They're great personalities. I think you agree with that. But these mm-hmm. are such astute politicians that they think that Trump is Trump is not Trump's not going to lose one vote on that. No, no, and you know, no, they're not going to flip votes on that. And so it's not really a a. Um, Interesting take. I think more interesting is the battle between like Pence and Trump over, you know, entitlements and over, you know, fiscal discipline and the long term and the fact that you have to do something to turn the aircraft carrier of state uh, a little bit in order to save those programs in the long term. Right. uh, I think that's far more interesting because it's substantive. Yeah. I, I also don't think that going after DeSantis saying Florida is a mess. I don't. I don't think anyone really thinks that. Even on, or even that Democrats. He was bad in in COVID, or that he was the COVID <laughs> lockdown governor. I don't even get that. Right, and I also wouldn't criticize. I I heard people that live. I know you do. Um, Seven hundred thousand people that they, they they actually got in the eighteen months, not because it's a terrible place, including the former president. So, but yeah. the thing is, to to defense DeSantis without using his name went after him, saying you listened to Anthony Fauci too long. You should take control yourself. I thought that was unfair, but uh, I don't think he's vulnerable on that because not many Democrats think that the president was too easy on Anthony Fauci. I thought he right. sidelined him right away, and people were critical of that. And Joe Biden was going to restore all that, and then when that that's when the fight happened. But the other story that I can't get away from is only 26 percent of the American public want him to run again. And he's uh, meaning Joe Biden. And he's going to announce tomorrow. Why do you think that poll comes out? And then you have Terry Moran. You have others go to bat. Uh, this is before he announces. And now the Hunter Biden investigation is heating up. I get the sense that people are taking their hands off the scale and almost stop trying to shape the narrative and letting things go for a while just to see where it's going to land. I agree with you. And I think that um, there's a lot of angst in the Democratic Party about um, President Biden. And I think that uh, it's just it, – there's the age thing. Um, there's the substance thing. And I think that they're really hungry for another person. Uh, but on Tuesday, tomorrow, he's going to put out a video and – we're told run for re-election. These the, the thing that's pointed out by the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal over the weekend not available. We we love to talk to you, see what's there, see what's not there, see what details you remember. He does just never available. Yeah. Why would you want the job for four more years if you're going on a family vacation when Latin America is being dominated by China? Russians on the march through Africa, through the Wagner Group. There's all types of tensions, been weapons problems getting to the battlefield in Ukraine. We have the French president Macron over in China saying, I don't want to take sides. I mean, my goodness, we need an engaged president. Yeah, and I think that there's all kinds of criticism, and it's not just conservatives. And increasingly, there are uh, people on the left that are wondering, you know, about his his abilities. But they don't right now have an alternative. And I think that the the party, for the most part, is going to unify, despite the polls, despite the angst. Um, they think that he's the guy that can beat Donald Trump, and they think Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. Okay, hardest question yet. 
we <laughs> you couldn't go to the uh, tournament, but the live the live tour was in Australia. Evidently, a hundred thousand yeah. people showed up. You had the sensational hole in one uh, by uh, by uh, who's, Chase Kepka. Chase Kepka, and mm-hmm. then you had. Uh, Dustin Johnson win it and call out the PGA president. What are you thinking about this tour? You know what? This They needed uh, something like this to happen uh, because it, it seemed like it was floundering and, and wasn't doing well in the U.S. It was pretty impressive to watch some of that video, and obviously the turnout in Adelaide was was huge. Um, and it goes to show that, that golf has an international – there's a want to have good good golf and good golfers in person. Can that translate to momentum? You know, I don't know. The ratings on CW are, are still not that good. And um, uh, But they needed a shot in the arm, and they got it. I also think that the Masters, Brian, where live golfers performed really well. Mickelson came in second. Um, Kepka came in second. And there were a bunch in the top ten. So, you know, they proved that they're not just um, – flash in the pan so we'll have to see so with a very that was the hardest for you ever to be fair and balanced wasn't it I out know, of everything really you was. had to have because you love the really pga <laughs> who you did we could not break brett fair's professionalism <laughs> even when it comes to golf so uh, all right brett so who's on your panel tonight uh, I have no clue. I'm getting on the call with my staff here in a second. Uh, we had a, a delayed morning meeting and I wanted to take care of you first. I am honored. I'm gonna, even if that's not true, I am honored. <laughs> I'll never know. I have no All second right. source, Brett. Go get him. Let's <laughs> see ya. All right. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just a lot going on today. Just a special thanks to everybody that watched um, One Nation over the weekend. We did that, what I thought was the perf for me anyway. I hope I'll find out from you, so I'll get our ratings tomorrow. The perfect analogy for me last week was John McEnroe because he was just astounded. And I watched it, watched it back. John McEnroe was almost like a savant in tennis. He knew all the rules. He knew what was right and what was wrong. And his argument was he couldn't take other people that didn't do it. You remember that. But I just thought I was watching last week in all the hearings that Democrats, for the most part, were asking us to suspend logic and understanding and and forget what we're seeing and try to believe what their course of events was, whether it was the situation with crime in New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles, San Francisco, or whether it was... Afghanistan not being that bad would have happened anyway under Trump. The the immigration system was broken under Trump and they just tried to fix it. It was impossible. All that stuff we know is not true. So I thought I'd mix in McEnroe. I hope you like that mix. But it makes me uh, it makes me also uh, wonder about um, if there's indeed more to know. More to know. All right. Research shows that young men, and this is not a surprise, copy their father's masculinity or lack thereof an Australian national survey by the way they are very manly men in Australia don't you think is that I, just is it just because most of their movie stars are masculine and the accent right right they yeah, just seem ang- like a little funny but angry 
No, but I think also Australia, right? They have all like the scary things, right? They have the alligators, the crocodiles, the snakes, the sharks. So I mean, yeah, the sharks, be... the reefs. Yes. Surrounded by water. So you have to just be that like rugged masculine right. man to In stay alive. In case of emergency, run to New Zealand or drown. Uh, Australia, they did they did a survey of 15 to 20 year old men and their fathers. The survey asked men a set of 22 scientifically validated questions about how they felt and behaved in relation to many issues around masculinity. For example, they were asked about the significance of work and social status for their sense of identity, uh, their take on showing emotion of being self-reliant, their endorsement of risk-taking and violent behaviors, the importance they assign to appearing heterosexual and having multiple partners. Hmm. That's interesting. Multi- <laughs> the heck of a lot. What is it, 1961? Could be, yeah. Um, and their beliefs about winning dominance in others. Taken together, the answers to these questions offered as a window into whether the men participating in the survey adopted more of the traditional or progressive type of masculinity. So, I don't know. I guess, I mean, I do notice it, if you think about it, most men are like their dads, right? Yeah, I mean, you, like, you grow up seeing what they do and how they act, and it's sort of the normal thing to do that. And you also more like... You know, if you have kids of both sexes, it's like, all right, you take, you know, Jimmy to go mow the lawn and I'm going to take Sally to go food shopping. It's sort right. of just what happens. Well, the Jimmy should be mowing the lawn by himself. I shouldn't have to take them to mow the lawn. Well, that is true. But they got to right. learn at like three or four if you want if, them to do it by By five. the way, if you're a kid and don't want to mow the lawn, allergies. Start sneezing because the parent has no plan B. No, it's called Benadryl. Oh, or you like, mean give him medicine? Yeah. Give him medicine. Or wear long pants and a hat and gloves and you're fine. Right. And there's a way to take the sting out of the rashes. They no longer itch after a certain amount of time. Cortisone. Right. All right. Um, I'm not going to do the next one because I feel it's too inside baseball. Although I did go to Cooperstown over the weekend. What do you think? I was could not be more impressed with the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I love the fact that they put it in a place that is a town that needs some reason to go. And they say that I went there, basically, and the town was like going to a resort in the dead of winter. Nobody was around, um, except the pizza place was open. But I just thought it was fantastic. I was fascinated to see this. What do they have for Pete Rose? They have a little display for Pete Rose, but they don't—they know he's on the Hall of Fame. And what do they have for the steroid guys? They have glass, there's McGuire, and there's Sosa, and there's headlines. But a big explanation about what happened. I didn't see. I got to look closer. I didn't see anything for Barry Bonds. So can you imagine having a Hall of Fame? The guy with the most hits, not in. The guy with the most home runs in a single season, not in. The guy with the most home runs in his career, not in. Crazy Hall of Fame, but I loved it. I encourage everybody to go. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.